Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing fantastic, Neil. How about you? I'm doing great, and I'm so excited about our guest. And I can talk about the history of Washington football. Growing up as a kid, I would go with Joe Theismann and John Riggins, and I went to the training camp in Carlisle. So I always will bleed the Redskins. Oh, I mean, the Washington team is mm -hmm. through and through, but, you know, hail too and all those different things. Doug Williams, well, we have a great guest, former Washington commander, Anthony Armstrong. How are you, sir? And you know what? Did you ever think about when you joined that Washington team, the history of that, that team in so you many know ways? You know, um, Neil, thanks for having me, one. Greg, appreciate you having me in the grotto. Um, you know, I learned about the history of, of Washington football uh, when I got up there. Because, I mean, I grew up in Dallas, so obviously you have the Cowboys. And and just being from Dallas almost got me shunned from being on the, the Redskins when I was there. But I quickly learned the history of the team and how proud, you know, the, the fan base is. And, and I mean, I love I love the Washington faithful. I mean, they're 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 like family. They accepted me. And so I'm always I've always got love for them. Oh, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Hey, Anthony, how, how did you get into football? I mean, and Ooh. did you have like inspiration for when you were a kid to go pro or man? So Greg from the from the state of Texas, football is like it's in your blood. Like you, you you walk, you talk, you play football. Maryland, they say they do crab cakes in football, but football is really a thing in Texas. It's almost another religion. And like I said, growing up watching the Cowboys in the early nineties, obviously I was Emmett Smith, the War Twenty Two on my first football team, which was the Cowboys. Um, and then just kind of worked my way up from there. I, I knew I always wanted to play football. I always wanted to be in the league. Um, but getting there, it definitely wasn't the normal route, wasn't drafted, didn't go that that normal way. But uh, I knew I wanted to get to the league, and, and I was basically stubborn, and I was not going to be denied to, to get to that spot. And a lot of people talk about that not to be denied, and we'll go do that further. But when you were growing up, the Cowboys really were just the thing. And what did you want to play? What position? So you said you were an Emmett Smith fan. Yeah, yeah. Back then, I mean, they, they we didn't throw the ball much, so being the running back was was the guy, right? Turn around, hand it off to twenty two with the high top fade, and, and let him take it to the house. That's that's who I was. But as I got older, um, everybody got bigger, and I got skinny. I stayed thin, and uh, I got faster though. So I I went out out wide. So I was emulating Michael Irvin, and then when I got in college, I started watching a lot of Marvin Harrison tape, and uh, that's my favorite receiver of all, of all time. He's just uh, just deadly as he plays the position, very talented, very much of a route technician, uh, but I could take the top off as well. So I tried to kind of bring a little bit of everything into my game. Nice. Well, you know, as a kid growing up and, you know, when you started to get into playing ball more and more as, as you uh, got older and older, you know, people have influences in our lives. You know, who as a kid was your biggest influence? Um, you know, not necessarily a pro, but actually in your life. And uh, like in high school and so on. Man, you know, I've I've been fortunate to always be around just uh, just a few guys that are a couple years older than me. You know, I do, I remember uh, seeing a Ronnie Worthington, seeing him line up at receiver at my high school in Newman Smith. And I was just like, man, we want to be like Ronnie. And just as it went along, you just always found somebody else that I could kind of cling to. Um, but but I always got to give a shout out to my mom for for being able to 
she always kept working hard and it made me never want to complain about anything. I was like, Hey, if she's doing it and she's got two kids and working and, and has her thing going on and I can, I can go out here and run some routes and practice in a hundred degree temperature. So uh, having her motivation, but then watching seniors and, and guys that are a couple of years ahead of me operate, I knew I wanted to be like them. So I was always chasing something. So let's talk about specifically enough Texas. Where in Texas you grew up? I grew up in the Dallas area. So I grew up in Carrollton. Okay. Okay. And in that process, when did you finally know that you were good enough at least to play college ball? What age? Man, man, I guess I really, that, that stuff didn't really start till high school. I mean, the recruiting process and I had a coach that I got to be you know, forever thankful to coach roulette. Um, he, he made it a point to get as many kids into college for playing football as he could. If you wanted to play, he was going to do his best to help you do that. And um, you know, we put together a tape. I remember using the VHS and stopping and pausing and marking plays down so he could cut it uh, and get it sent out to coaches. And that was just the first part. Getting letters in the mail, recruiting letters um, was was exciting. I mean, you see, start to see some big schools. And I tell you a funny story. There's one day I went out to check the mail and I had this one letter and it was bright orange. And I didn't think too much about the color, but it was bright orange. But I saw the helmet. And it had the the Wolverine helmet, like like uh, Michigan. And I ran in the house thinking I was getting a recruiting letter from Michigan. It was from <laughs> it was from Princeton. It was from Princeton, and I and it was like a questionnaire. And I, I the excitement waned, uh, but then I looked up that their colors are orange and black, so it made sense that it was orange. I was like, why is Michigan sending me an orange letter? Because uh, it wasn't from Michigan. So yeah, <laughs> that's great. So what did you end up playing college ball? I ended up going to West Texas A&M, Division II school out there, just south of Amarillo. Um, if you've never been to Amarillo, there's not a lot out there. You got some Cadillac stuck in the ground, got the Big Texan restaurant. So if you want to go uh, try that Big Texan challenge, that's out there as well. But I found my way to West Texas A&M. Well, Neil, you're from Texas, right? Was from Texas. I lived in Texas. I'm in yeah. Pittsburgh now. I was in Dallas Plano area. Now I'm back in Pittsburgh, but I'm not okay. from Texas, but I was in Texas, have an office in Texas. So, you know, all those places Anthony's the, talking about. Yeah, I know. I'm telling you right now, you go out past Dallas and you start going there. There's nothing right. Just branches and you keep driving. We drove, I drove all the way out past Uvalde and stuff to San Antonio and took those roads. And man, there's, there's nothing, nothing there. there. There's nothing, nothing there. there. It's scary because what if you broke down? What do you do? You lose, hey, you lose GPA, you lose GPS, you lose everything there, man. Oh yeah, you just you figure it out. I mean, I, I remember driving up to to Canyon. It was like a five and a half, six hour drive, and I mean, you got a couple hours here, then you got a small town, so you you got to stop. You know, when you get a chance to, because if you didn't take that stop a couple a couple hours back, you're going to be in the middle of Texas with no gas station nearby and and tumbleweeds <laughs> and carrying on. So. Yeah, it, it was a fun drive, man. Good experience out there in West Texas. Wow, that's craziness. And, uh, you know, you mentioned you're selling a lot of real estate. Are you doing that in Texas or where are you doing that? I'm doing this that, that in Texas as well. I've been in real estate going on 10 years now. So it's it's wow. flown by. That was the first thing that I got into post-football. Um, initially, I was trying to look into the coaching side and, and to coach at public schools, you have to be a teacher as well, for the most part. And so I was doing the teaching certification and Man, I got some flashcards that were trigonometry, and I had never taken trigonometry. 
I put those flashcards down. I says, I says, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to do this teaching coaching route. Um, just because I was like, I'm not trying to learn math to have to teach math. Right. So I passed on that, found my way into the real estate space. And I, I, I love it because I get to educate people. I get to educate clients and take them from not knowing anything about buying a house to, to actually owning one. And then now uh-huh. kind of transitioning and helping people sell them, uh, which is, which has been fun as well. Yeah, that's great. You know, what What were a few things that um, you brought with you from your career as a professional athlete into, you know, your entrepreneurialism, really, you know, selling real estate? What are a few things? Man, you know what? It's funny you say that. I've been thinking about that as of late, just kind of how things, you know, transition. And it's much less physical in real estate. So that was the first thing I knew. I don't have to get hit by anybody. I can deal with the agents from Ebby and and, and, and the like, but I don't have to get hit by anybody. Uh, but number one, uh, you, you bring in good habits. You know, when I think back whenever I was at my best, when I was playing, I knew what I was eating every single game day the night before. I knew what my schedule was. I was just on top of everything. Um, and to be able to bring some of those good habits uh, into being self-employed, mind you, it's taken a while to re-implement them, uh, but bringing those over, that that translates. So right now, I treat every day like game day. I'm thinking, hey, I got my my practice script. I know what time I'm supposed to be here. I know what I'm doing. I know what the gameplay is. I know what the script is. Um, And that's how I have to treat every single day. Now, the the second thing is comes down to the mindset part of it. And it's one side of it is just like, yeah, I'm going to work hard, but it's taking care of your mental, you know, being able to start the day with some meditation and journaling. And these are some things I kind of learned as I got older, but I would still take some quiet time before games, you know, and and settle down and stay calm so I could be level headed when I got out there on the field. And it's the same thing being self-employed. You want to Take care of your mental, because if, if if you do that on the onset, then anything that happens during the day, you can handle it a lot better. That's what I found for myself. Um, and that third thing that I brought over is the ability to set some goals. Uh, I try to set goals that are going to stretch me because um, when I was leaving West Texas and had to go play in Odessa, and work my way from the bottom of the bottom. I said I wanted to get to the NFL. Didn't know it was going to take four years for it to happen, but I got there. And so now I'm setting goals on this side that I want to do some things that are going to require me to be more and do more and, and to operate at a higher level. All right. That's so fantastic. I want to jump into this journey to the NFL and then how you take some of these mentors in your success in real estate. But let's go right to like, like you said, four years it took you. So what was the biggest challenges of just keep going, going, going to finally becoming an NFL player. Yeah. So going back, 05 was my draft and I went undrafted. And right after the draft, I got invited to the Atlanta Falcons rookie minicamp. And so essentially after the draft, they bring some guys in undrafted and they put them out on the field and see who can play. Well, I failed my physical uh, that very first day and they sent me back to Amarillo that very next morning at 5 a.m. So I didn't even get to too much put on any cleats in the NFL. And after that, I had to get healthy, you know, rehab a little bit. And I decided that I wanted to play football again. And it meant me meant that I had to go play ball down in Odessa, Texas with the Odessa Roughnecks. I found a teammate who had an agent and agents like I know a team. I said, fine, whatever. I packed up my Acura Integra, hopped in the car and I drove down to Odessa, Texas. We practiced in a parking lot, Neil. The, the, the hockey team was in the playoffs. So the ice was always down. So they rolled our turf, our arena league turf in the parking lot of the Hector County Coliseum. 
on the corner of those two major roads were practicing. So it would look like a sideshow going on in the parking lot. And meanwhile, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to the NFL. I got to get here. And I always told myself I just had to get better one year. I had to graduate each year. Um, so down there in Odessa, I had, I mentioned mentors. I had like a Darren Graham, a Tommy Jones, Dwayne Hogan, Joel Babb. These guys had played, uh, first few guys played D1 football. They had been in the league. And they had kind of worked their way down, still trying to play the game. I'm trying to work my way up. So I'm learning from them. Um, I ended up skipping the game, went out and did a tryout, ran my first 4-2-40, um, turned some heads, and eventually that turned into a uh, position with the Dallas Desperados. That was the following season. This is 06. So join that team, practice squad for a while, eventually get on the roster, spend the second season there. And this is when the Tony Sperano, Bill Parcells conglomerate made its way down to Miami. So after that 08 season, my phone rings. It's the Miami Dolphins. They want to bring me in for a workout. Um, long back and forth, finally made it happen, get down there and made the made the team, made the practice squad. So from 05, uh, missing my draft to 08, finally getting to the NFL, um, all that time passing, I didn't finally play until it was 2010 with Washington. So I had to get cut from Miami again, get signed by Washington in 09 to finally make the field and start in 2010. Wow. That's, that's perseverance, isn't it, Greg, to get there? Yeah, that's incredible. Um, yeah. I have a quick question to ask you just because it, you know, I, I was a sim- similar situation. Um, what was it like growing up without your dad? You know, I lost my dad when I was young too. Uh, what was that like for you? You know, um, Looking back at it now, I, I just I found that I just kind of took I took on a whole bunch of other roles. You know what I mean? You're kind of like, you know, you're, you're a big brother, but then you're also a caretaker can take care of your sister. But then you're the man of the house. So yeah. it was just interesting to take on so many different roles. Um, yeah, I have shoot. I, don't, I haven't even probably unpacked all of that. But <laughs> that's just that's just one thing that I've realized as of late. So, you know, now you, you can see. I see myself kind of being being in those same positions in my life now. But I was always looking for somebody to make proud, I think, you know, always yeah. finding a coach that you're trying to make proud or somebody that you're trying to, you know, impress that that you want to hear that from a, from your dad or from a father to say, hey, good job. I'm proud of you. So, yeah, it, oddly enough, um, searching for that probably gave me the drive enough to kind of keep going uh, to get all the way up to the NFL and to make it there. So. It was, it was at the time it was just, it was, it was the situation. It is what it was, what it was, but looking back at it now, it was definitely transformative and and, and made me into who I am today. Really. Yeah. Fantastic. You got to the NFL. You had that goal every time because you were drafted, but then went and it took so long, then coming as a free agent, you always, they were always after you, right? Didn't they always have a situation when you're in a certain spot on the squad that they're going to have tryouts every week to try to say, hey, could take your spot, right? Ba- or the basically, same thing. basically, I mean, I always looked at it like I was 53 out of uh, 54 out of 53. Like I was the next guy that they're probably going to try to get out of here. Cause I mean, I, I just that's just the way I looked at it. I, I wasn't going in there to, to think I had a spot secured and I knew, oh, I'm on this team. I'm like, no, every single day I'm trying to prove something. I'm trying to uh, bring value. I'm trying to make a play. Uh, Jason Witten said it, make a play every day. And then you find a way to stick around. And so that was the goal, you know, to turn some heads when when 
Donovan McNabb came into Washington, I I was like, I have to be his Deshaun Jackson over here, you know, and that was what my goal was. And did I achieve it? I think so. I think so. Finished third in the league that year behind Mike Wallace and Deshaun Jackson. So I, I was able to have some success with it, um, you know, getting out there on the field. That's great. And you t- and you take that same attitude with you right into your real estate business, because I know you're telling yourself, hey, I'm only as good as the last house I sold. So where's the next one coming from and the next one? So it, you use that same drive and building your pipeline and looking for the biggest opportunities. And, you know, do you try to, you know, I don't know what level of real estate you're selling, you know, average, middle, or you're selling high end or, you know, what, yeah. what are you selling? Yeah, I, I, I like to work with good people. That's what yeah. I found. I mean, it, if you're buying an entry level house, I'm good. If you good people, let's do it. If you're buying a condo for 150, like I'm good, let's do it. If you're buying a seven figure property, I'd love to help you out. Let's do it, right? Uh, it, it's all it's all about the people that I work with. Um, it, there's no reason I've had you know transactions where it's just been like pulling teeth the whole entire way, and then at the end of it like all the sickness goes away. Like the, this is the gut wrenching feel. I literally had one like that where I was just like getting down to the end. I'm getting stressed. I could feel it in my body. And right when the title company says everything is finished, I could just feel all of that stress just leave my body. And I don't like to be in those. I don't want to be in those sticky situations. I'll help you solve your problems, but let's be cordial about it. Let's, let's handle this thing. Like people uh, that have got some sense. How much do you use your network? in a way to help you with getting certain real estate deals. You, Man. Contacts, yeah. Man, you know, I've, I've, there's a, there's a few times that I've reached out, but, but I've learned that a lot of times people already have, you know, built in relationships and um, you know, if they, if they already have something that they've been working for 10 years, I mean, I can't get mad at that. I would love for them to switch, but um, I found that I, you know, if I take care of what's, what's uh what my actions are, what I need to do, I tend to find business. It may not be that I'm helping every NFL player, you know, buy a house or whatnot. I mean, I've, I've helped a few, I, I can say I've helped a couple guys buy some homes and multiple times at that, but um, I don't get, I don't pick everybody. Right. You know, I don't get to pick at everybody, but I sure would love to because there's a lot there's a lot to learn about being a new guy in a city. And you're like 22, 23 with a lot of money. And they're like, what do you do with it? You know, and to having been in those shoes, I, I think I have a lot to to offer to, to some young players. Yeah, that's great. Hey, is, you know, talking to somebody, young, I don't know how, how old the people are that listen to our shows. You know, Neil, you have any idea what the demographic is? Oh, I don't it's know. all over the place, man. Yeah, right? Different yeah. stations or different demographics. I was checking that out before. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just any go, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so Anthony, you know, talking to someone who's uh, either has your dreams or aspiring to be in the NFL, you know, what are a couple of things that they can think about or focus on or some actions that they can, you know, put into their lives as, as an own philosophy or something to help them move that dream forward? Man, I'm going to tell you my my big three, my playbook. This is my playbook for for just, I say it's for like putting imposter syndrome to the side because there's always going to be that uncertainty. Like regardless of where you're trying to go, I don't know if you guys played video games back in the day, but you remember whenever you're on that little map and then it's everything else is grayed out and cloudy. That's all imposter syndrome until you walk to those spots. Do you finally see what's there? Right. So. Um, 
my my playbook are those big three. Get your mindset right, right. Understand how to how to take care of your mental because it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to be able to have some fundamentals that you can fall back on that are going to help carry you through those bumpy waters. Um, setting those goals right. I remember talking to a young a young receiver, uh, kid in high school. He was we were working on some receiver work, and I asked him. I says, Hey man, what are you what are you out here for? Like why? are you doing this? You, your dad's got me coming out to coach you one-on-one. It's like 30 degrees. Why? <laughs> um, and, and he's like, well, I want to go to the NFL, but I got to get to college first. So I guess my goal is to get to college. I says, that's wrong. Your goal is to get to the NFL. That needs to be where your focus is at because frankly, everything else you do is going to align with that. So if anybody is out here looking at saying, I want to get to the NFL, NBA, whatever, you got to start thinking like that. You got to put your, focus on that and then your daily actions will fall in line you know so if it if it means i need to go work out every day well then damn it you better work out every day right if you're trying to get to there you know i i think that we shoot our goals too small and and we don't we don't stretch ourselves enough and i and i know that there's a thing called smart goals and you know measurable and time bound et cetera, et cetera. but uh they, I feel like for those, they set you, you're too small. They should be aligned with something that's much bigger, something that's scary, something that makes you a little uncomfortable. Um, so I would tell them, whatever it is, aim higher and then match your daily activities to uh, to align with that. Because I'm sure right. there was a lot of naysayers saying you're never going to make it to the NFL, right? Well, you know what? The, the crazy thing about it, Neil, is that the most me getting to the league, I never really went around telling everybody what I was trying to do. I just was going. Like, like when I, when I got to Miami, like I was on vacation when I was, when I finally got to Miami, I was on vacation. They interrupted my vacation. I travel across the country to get down there, jet lag, do my workout. They're like, we like you. We want to sign you. We don't know if it's two days or two weeks. I say, that's cool. Send me back. So I go back to where I'm going. My flight gets delayed. I have to stay the night in Phoenix. Then I wake up. My 5 a.m. flight connects in L.A. I have a voicemail from the Dolphins. They say, hey, we want to sign you. You need to come back. I haven't even made it to my destination yet. <laughs> right. So then I finally they're like, I'm like, I can't come back. I'm not even back yet. Blah, blah, blah. They're like, when can you come back? I said, tomorrow. I said, OK, fine. I finally get down there tomorrow. I just text my friends because I was on vacation for a week. I said, hey, guys, I moved to Miami. I'm not coming back. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, the Dolphins signed me. So like me getting to the Dolphins, I never told them about it. That, it just happened. Um, me, if, if I would have told people about me trying to get to the league, I probably wouldn't have made it. I probably would have heard too many naysayers. I probably would have heard too many people doubting it. Um, and it probably would have deterred me. So I kept my stuff silent. Just, just move in silence and keep chopping wood. Before Greg <laughs> asks his final question, we have to talk podcasting. Why a podcast for you? Man, the podcast, I was one, I just was one to reconnect with, with my Washington folks. You know, I, I had been getting out of the game. It's a tough, to, tough to transition out. It's like a three-year process. At least it was for me. You're like angry, pissed off. Then you're like down in the dumps, depressed. And then you come back out of it and you're like, man, it's okay. I, I don't need football like that. Um, but having been away for so long, I was like, man, I want to get, I really want to get back into it. And the folks over there, there at the Believe Network reached out. Um, and it was right on time when I was thinking about doing something. So, uh, Believe in Commanders happened and me and Brian Murphy have been rocking for a couple seasons now. Um, 
definitely looking to grow that thing. And I, I enjoy talking the game. I enjoy talking football, getting to look at tape and, and chat with, with good, good people about it. And you're traveling cool. sometimes to Washington too, right? To do some, do you do some traveling to Washington? Do any of the media out in Washington, or you stay more just in Texas? I stay mostly in Texas, but you know, uh, I got connects up there. So if if uh, when I was up there uh, for the homecoming weekend back in, I think it was September. Um, yeah, in September, I I did a few things while I was there, but but yeah, I'm open. They can hit me up. Okay. All right, Greg. <laughs> go ahead with your final question. This is really a, be ready, Anthony, for this question. Yeah, it's a it's a light one, but it's an important one. Selfishly for me, but you know, really for for the listeners as well. So, Anthony, tell me, um, what's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned? Mm, the most important thing in life I feel I've ever learned. It would be. You gotta you gotta keep smiling, and you gotta you gotta be able to laugh. I think those are the. Those would be the ones. Keep a smile on your face and keep laughing. Cause I mean, life is gonna happen. It is what it is. I was I cried the other day, y'all. Here's what happened. I, I've been going through phone mess. Okay. And then I don't have the up the most up-to-date phone, but damn it, my phone was good. And it face planted on the sidewalk the other day. Oh. On on top of the fact that I had just set that one back up and like I had kids to take to school and just everything was happening at once. But then at the end of the day, I ended up getting a client under contract. And hey, all I could do at the end of the day was laugh, laugh and smile. Because I mean, you're going to be tested. You know, you're going to be tested. It'll be tough times for everybody. So you might as well laugh at it, put a little smile on your face and, and get the hell up. Hey, but awesome. the nice thing is that's great, Greg, right? He got yeah. the final, the, the roller coaster ride of the entrepreneur right there. He saw it, right? That's it. That's it. Keep up. Get up and keep going, man. Cause hey, you learning along the way. That's that's the if I tell you if I go back, you talk about what do you take from the NFL, you can't make the same mistake twice. Don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah. You know, and that's the same thing here. You fell down, you laugh at yourself, and you say, All right, next time I ain't gonna slip on that banana peel over there. So all right. Best place is the Believe Podcast Network and all podcasts to check out your podcast, right? Yeah, you can hit, hit, hit up Believe in Commanders on all your favorite streaming platforms. We're over there. Uh, you can give us a listen. We, yeah, we listened. We did one today on Halloween, so that, that one's out now. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Good luck on the real estate thing, and we appreciate you coming by. All right, man. Appreciate y'all. Yeah. We'll see you at the All right. All right. That was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. Today is Dr. Ann Hester, uh, CEO of Patient World. Dr. Hester, how are you? And we have some big news coming up with Patient World with some online summits in November. Tell us about them. Great. It is always a pleasure to be here. And so in November, Patient World is hosting two summits. One starts November the 1st, the Health and Wellness Extravaganza. And the next one is November the 15th at How They Thrive Fest. And so the summits are free. People can just go to patientworld.net backslash summits to sign up for the summits and just for attending the summit you can pick up your virtual swag bag of free gifts from the speakers worth several hundred dollars that's excellent that's that's fantastic and when they go when you go to these online summits what are you going to learn from them well for the health and wellness extravaganza we have a ton of speakers dealing with everything from emotional well-being to physical well-being 
people from all sorts of walks of life, whether uh, MD, PhD, authors, um, just people who have important information to share. The same with the Holiday Thrive Fest. Uh, it covers a lot of things, everything from your emotional health to your physical health. The uh, holiday season is often stressful for people with all the stress that they deal with, financial stress, the stress of losing loved ones and getting through the holiday season. So that deals with a lot of issues that people will find very helpful as they deal with the upcoming holiday season. Yeah, and that's 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 the time for you to really look at things and and that and I, and this is the problem. The holiday it gets colder, holiday season. What are some quick tips that people can think about right now to stay healthy to get going and start going? I'd say look at whole foods. We eat a lot of ultra processed foods, and ultra processed foods can be toxic to the part of our brain that actually deals with the metabolism and impact our ability to lose weight. So choose whole foods over ultra-processed foods. That's not saying that you can't have your cookies or other things. You can do all sorts of things. Just do those things in moderation and focus on the healthier things. When you're going to cook, look at healthy alternatives. So instead of using vegetable oil or butter, consider vanilla Greek yogurt in your baked goods. I was surprised how soft and succulent the baked goods come out when I make that substitution. There are so many things that we can do differently. And just pick one thing at a time. Don't try to reinvent the wheel of 30 years of habits overnight. Just pick one thing you're going to do differently and just build on that. And in addition to picking what you want to eat, having a, a yummy, uh, yummy meals, then focus on exercise. Exercise releases endorphins. Endorphins go to the pleasure centers of the brain, and they make us feel better, just like opiates make some people feel better. That's interesting. Once that brain gets going, what, what kind of other benefits do you get from exercise, what, especially high endurance exercise? It decreases your risk of dying. That's a huge one. So people who exercise regularly are less likely to end up with things like diabetes, multiple types of cancer, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. It just keeps going and going and going. So regular exercise is vital to decrease your risk of developing and succumbing to the most common killers. What kind of symptoms should you look out for, especially if you like stroke and and heart attack. What kind of symptoms can you be concerned with that really you need to start exercising or you're just feeling that this might be draining on you, especially during the holidays? So certainly, first of all, if you have symptoms of a stroke, numbness, weakness on one side of the body, you know, slurred uh, speech, facial drooping, it's a 911 call. If you develop chest pressure, chest tightness, anything that is very concerning, you seek medical attention first to make sure that this is not a medical emergency. Short of that, if you just want to prevent disease, which is vital, a lot of us end up coming to dying from diseases that could have been treated or reversed. And so having a mindset that you want to prevent disease, you don't want to end up taking a boatload of medications to treat a disease that you could have prevented in the first place if you had made healthier decisions. And so lifestyle matters, certainly um, alcohol intake for a woman who say no more than one drink a day, for a man no more than two. Um, cigarette smoking, don't think about it. Um, 
whole foods, fruits, vegetables, grains, get a lot of protein from nuts. Um, I love edamame. I can smother it in olive oil, put a little sea salt on it. To me, that's awesome. Uh, I even actually started making my own um, veggie burgers, and you can just Google recipes and just spice it the way you want to. But there's so much that we can do differently so that we have a healthier life. And when we do that, we make those wise choices, we end up with fewer diseases, and that can not only impact our emotional well-being, our physical well-being, but it can impact our pocketbook. Because we know how much money we end up spending on healthcare costs. Oh, that's no, definitely. And it's it's looking at all those different things and, and going in the checkup and saying, what where do I need to improve on my health? How can I do that so I'm not going to spend so much more money, especially when cold and flu season comes out, which is coming soon. All of those different things. And that's what you're going to learn if you go to patientworld.net, especially the next online summits, the next one, one tomorrow, November 1st, and then on November 15th, because you're going to learn the, or whatever that health summit, I think is it November 15th, the other health summit? The, yes, those two help. Yeah, those are gonna help you through this process, but the courses that are available at patientworld.net, we have two new course creators, right, coming up. Yes, I just released one, Dr. Lale Talibian, she just released a course on how to eat to defeat metabolic disease, um, such as obesity, diabetes, for high cholesterol. And later on in November, I'm going to release one with multiple um, course creators on obesity, explaining things, everything from the gut microbiome, how that fights against weight loss, um, to a variety of other things. So there are several doctors, uh, a dietitian, and a lot of other information out there that is going to explain why we no longer think of obesity as Okay, the person's overweight because he eats too much and doesn't exercise. Obesity is now considered a chronic disease, and there are things beyond your control that people did not acknowledge in the past. So we're going to delve into those things to hopefully help people lose a ton of weight and decrease the risk of a lot of diseases. And that's definitely setting those goals and really spending as much time in your health as your other goals in life, especially coming up to the new year. And all of this process. And we talked about off air about, again, the change of the clocks and how that can stre be stressful as well. Explain a little yeah. bit of that and what ways we can benefit from trying. For instance, seasonal affective disorder, that's very real. We don't have enough sunlight. Sunlight just makes you feel better. You know, if you're on the beach and you're out walking in a beautiful day, it just does something to you. And so if so much of the day is spent in darkness, that part is taken away from you, the emotional well-being. But there are things that you can do in addition to just trying to keep your, your home well lit. Um, you can exercise. Exercise releases endorphins. Endorphins go to the pleasure centers of the brain, and that's huge. And the pleasure centers of the brain just make you feel better, help you sleep better, and just lift your spirits. And when you do those things, you become more creative. You're able to get more accomplished at work. You just have a completely different mindset. Your brain is functioning on a much higher level. That's huge because when the, when the brain functions at a much higher level, that's great. And then figuring out sunlight and all that. And mental health is something we don't talk about as much. We keep talking about the other health side, but these summits will also address mental health because a lot of times our brain causes all the other things to go wrong. If we're not feeling good, if we're feeling stressed, 
it's going to, it's going to hurt the entire body. So there's other ways to improve your mental health during this time too. Absolutely. And so something that people need to realize is that their emotional health has an impact on the physical health. There's so many times people go to see the doctor and the bottom line after you run all those tests is it was stress. You ended up sick. You're dealing with all of these things because of what's going on emotionally that is having an impact on your physical well-being. And so getting a handle on stress can actually turn around many things in your life. All right. Best place to go right now is patientworld.net because of the online summits coming up next this this month and a process of people could sign up for courses today, right? If they see a specific practitioner they really like, they can sign up today for those, right? Yes, they can. And they could watch those courses over and over. So they have quite a, quite a long time to review the courses and re-review them, download certain parts, and just take their level much higher so they can understand more about how they can live long and thrive. All right. We thank you again for coming by. Thank you for having me. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome first to the program my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series. Paul, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. We are. Um, we have Frank uh, Fiore again. He is he is like the king of Western stories, and, and he has a great new set of a series out now that he's going to tell us about. All right. So, Frank, let's talk about the Jonathan Smythe series some more. We talked more about Jonathan now and his sidekick, but other characters that we should look out for in the series that you've created. Talk about some of them. Well, Jonathan and Charles Abbott, uh, those are the two main um, people. Uh, uh, there are no other characters that follow through the series, <clears throat> but I am going to introduce a female in the uh, next book. And that'll and she will continue with Jonathan. Uh, the, but basically, the characters that uh, the supplemental characters are the ones or the supporting cast. Let's say uh, they're either the uh, victims of the uh, supposed uh, Jack the Ripper crime, or they are a uh, person that would help them uh, find out about the about the uh the mystery or, or about the or the, or the assumed murders so those characters just pop up once and that's it um mm -hmm. but it, but when you write a story you got to have characters that carry the plot through uh when i write a story <clears throat> when i write a story i create a wireframe which is a plot okay it's a wireframe i take that wireframe and i develop it you know, a plot very thinly. This happens then, this happens then, this happens then, this happens then. And then I figure, then I create a character that, that, I, that I plug into that wireframe uh, that uh, makes that plot work, okay? And that character, that the, the, the plot works in such a way that it reveals what the character's character is, okay? So what drives plot are characters and what drives characters are their uh, is their behavior so that's how i develop a story and very very interesting so those two main characters go into whatever that plot is 
Yeah. Jonathan, you talked a lot about, but his sidekick, does he really, how different is he to Jonathan? And, well, and when you talk about. Well, he's a, a, a Scotland Yard detective uh, in reality. Uh, he poses as a, uh, uh, a reporter. And that's how he gets into uh, Jonathan's uh, uh, support for him. But but Charles, but Charles is basically, uh, mm -hmm. like I think I, I said before in some other the uh, interviews, uh, that it's, it's like a 1800s version, a cowboy version of uh, of uh, of the uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson, in such a way that uh, that works out that way because. Jonathan uh, uses, uh, or the story uses uh, uh, Charles Abbott as a Watson who doesn't quite know all the information. So that means he's questioning things that pop up and that Jonathan says, oh, yes, that's just the way it is. We're all going to develop in that way. So in a way, uh, Charles Abbott, like Watson, uh, he's basically recording what, what Jonathan's uh, experiences and their experiences, but also he acts as that uh, that guy that knows just enough, but not enough, and he plays the role almost as the reader. Okay, okay, I got it. And so definitely Jonathan's a much different person compared to a sidekick, it sounds like, what you're telling the Oh, yeah, Scotland Yard thing. Yeah, well, obviously Charles is, is a dyed-in-the-wool Scotland Yard tough detective, supposedly, but Jonathan is a sophisticated man. I mean, he's uh, he's been he's he's been around the world. He worked in His Majesty's at uh, Calvary, and uh, he he carries the latest weapon with him, the uh, revolver that doesn't have to be cocked. You know, it's, it's it is a uh, uh, semi-automatic, you know, more or less, and also <clears throat> he's a great horseman. And uh, he's a, he wears the finest suits, carries a cane, as opposed to Jonathan, who's a flat foot. Uh, excuse me, who's uh, Charles, who's a flat foot. <laughs> me. 100%. That's crazy when you think about, you think about a character like that um, and what they do and how, how, how that character develops. Very, very, very interesting. The the hope is when they get there into the Western world, it's a totally different world than than Britain, right? And London and stuff, right? They're used to just a different environment, so it becomes really kind of chaotic for them once they go to the West, right? Yeah, especially for Charles Albert. I mean, you know, he he doesn't have any idea what the American West is. He all he's learned from is the dime novels. Uh, but Jonathan, because he's a world traveler and he's been around different countries of the world working for, for the, uh, or being a, a member of the, His Majesty's Calvary, uh, he, he, he blends in pretty well. It's not, he's not shocked by the, by the culture that they say. While uh, uh, Charles, he's, he, he's got to, he's fumbles it. He's got, he got to try and figure out how, he's, uh, how his version of reality fits in with the Wild West. Definitely, his version is a different type of version for sure, Frank. It's like, what what does he do, and how does he do it? Understand completely when you're talking about that. If we go into the hope, what is your hope? You add the historical, you had the westerns, you add the fans who love westerns in Britain, and it's a perfect mix, right? Especially when, again, uh, they, they're huge fans, right, in England and. 
and all over the UK, right? When it comes to Westerns. So that's where your goal, you're, you're, you're meeting that audience while also bringing some really interesting stuff for readers. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's a, I wanted to write a unique Western. Okay. They're not the same old uh, Westerns that are out there. I wanted to, I wanted to do a different twist on it. And that idea of uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson in America. <laughs> and then you got, then you throwing in the, uh, the mystery, <laughs> and the, uh, uh, and the action, <clears throat> gunfights, and, uh, and Indians chasing them, and uh, and uh, it just it's just wonderful. It's just really cool. Definitely seems fantastic. Best place people can go is your website, right, Frank? That's correct. Uh, which is, which is in the process. I'm told by my publisher to be uh, uh, being re- reformed, and. Uh, but the, the website right now is www.frankfiori.com and you could follow uh, uh, what I'm writing and, and Jonathan's stories there. All right, Frank, we appreciate it. You stopping by again, another great uh, interview and people, the book soon is going to be launching and people can't wait to get their hands on the entire series and more things to come with Frank Fiori. Appreciate it, sir. Uh, you're welcome. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show. My guest today is Robert P. Wills. And again, he is an author. He's authored many, many books. But it's time for Pirate Month, right? Because your new book's coming out November 22nd. There's going to be a special virtual book launch. We're going to have some really interesting stories. You're going to get to hear from different people. We're going to get to interview the whole story of why pirates but tell us more about the book launching on November 22nd. It's a, it's kind of a gritty pirate story. It's not a, a Disney style, you know, pirate curses. There's no magic. There's no pirate curses. Uh, it's, it's actual people. Uh, the, the time frame is historically accurate. The towns are where they say, where I say they are. Um, the way the ships acts or way the ship actually acts when it's sailing. Um, so are their tactics. Um, but it's a, a pirate who's uh, going after a treasure that he's, heard about that belongs to the king of spain and they're getting ready to move from from hispaniola um in the caribbean to spain and so he's trying to get to the treasure before they move it and get, once it gets on the open ocean he'll never find it again but he's dealing with a bunch of british sailors that are coming after him as well so he's trying to get away from these british sailors it's kind of a chase across the caribbean uh, to, to get to this treasure before even the british get there because it's, it's free treasure if they can get there as well so it's kind of a a race for the treasure is, is how the story is going. A race for the treasure. And basically you've taken all the different types of stories together, uh, pirate stories, and made it into your kind of your your your, your book, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, and the treasure isn't buried. It's being held in a little fortification on the, on the island. So they're not going after a treasure that's buried. Uh, they're going, they're going to have to assault this building once they get there to get to the treasure because that's where most treasures were kept i mean governments didn't bury treasures they kept them in either a fort or some other fortification and uh, that's what they're gonna have to deal with so once they get to the island uh they're not home free yet they still have to work their way past the guards who are intent on getting this treasure back to king charles so Okay, so you put history involved how much history did you have to research in this book for this book it's actually quite a lot um it's funny the caribbean is really kind of a a, a strange area islands changed ownerships back and forth um some islands were bought and sold other ones they they other countries just took them over 
Uh, and then the names of the islands changed. You know, it's Dominican Republic, it's Hispaniola. Um, so I had to go back and look at that. Um, and while we were fighting the Revolutionary War about the 1700s, 1780s, when this was going on, 1770s, um, there's also a push in the Caribbean with, with the British trying to get them out of there with the Spanish and the Dutch. So that was the hard part of going back and saying, okay, in, eight, in 1786, who actually owned this island? Is it the Dutch? Is it the Spanish? Is it, you know, who owned it? Because, you know, I'd hate to have the, I mean, I could, not that most people would notice, but I wanted to have it so that, you know, the island is actually owned by the country that owned the island at the time that they were there to try to keep it at least historically accurate as I can. Exactly. And keep it historically accurate, making sure that all of it happens. So putting all the time and effort in and developing those characters. We talked about this on an episode before. Do some of these characters remind you of people like your family members or anything else in the way their characteristics and stuff? Or you pull it more based on shows? Uh, no, it's a bit more on shows and books. Um, Masters of Commanders is a great movie. Uh, um, and the, the way they act on that ship. Um, now, this story actually doesn't have family members in it. My other books do have uh, family members pop up, whether by real name or just how they act. But this one here, no, it's pretty much um, reading about uh, pirates and adventures. And there's lots of historical accounts of them and kind of pairing them together to come up with, you know, a pirate that's not really Blackbeard or any other pirate, but he's still kind of a vicious, vicious fellow interested in, in, uh, in, in treasure. So, All right. So. Pirates and adventures, such a great point that you talk about. And people love adventure and pirates. And especially, you know, we just finished up a Halloween. What a perfect time to to pick up the book for sure. And uh, have you ever considered any of these audiobooks, any of your books you've done? Um, I, 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 uh, I have. I've actually, my science fiction series is available as an audiobook. Uh, the trilogy is on on, uh, on Audible. So they've been produced that way. Um yeah, this one would make a, a good audio audiobook. It's pretty uh, fast-paced action kind of thing. I think that would work well as an audiobook. That would be kind of fun. Um, the hard part is finding the right voice to do the to do the characters. And who did you have the voices? Who did you have the voices when you did your characters of your books? The other books. Um, I I heard this guy uh, off of uh, he was he's a producer <coughs> on uh, on Audible that I hired to do the voices, and he does a couple of the voices, but it's mainly just uh the main character in that one is a is an army warrant officer so he's kind of gruff and, and husky and that's the main voice that he does on that um i guess i could do the same thing with this since it's kind of a middle-aged pirate he's probably in his late 30s early 40s kind of guy is what he is so unfortunately you don't last very long as pirates you know most pirates don't retire of old age <laughs> they usually get caught and strung up at some point in their life Oh, yeah, no doubt. Wow, wow. It's uh, definitely for people. But then the virtual book launch, we have so many cool ideas for the virtual book launch that we're going to be talking about next week when we do uh, an interview because it's November 22nd, 7 p.m., and you definitely want people to pick up the book, order it before so they can have questions, maybe start ready for the pre-order, and it all releases on November 22nd. It's got to be exciting. Absolutely. Yes, and that's the thing. Uh, and you have a link we're going to put in the in the in the thing, so you can pre-order the book right now on Amazon. There's a link right for your book. Absolutely, yeah. And I'll have hardcovers of it that I'll order. So if you know if someone wants a, a signed hardcover, I can always get one in the mail to them that way if they're interested in uh, interested in one of those. So it's right, well, available as a paperback as well as an audio as, as well as a Kindle ebook. And your website, again, is where can people um, go to find more information on you? Is your, what's your website? 
robertpwills.com. All right, robertpwills.com. Fantastic. Virtual book launch with Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series, Neil the Media Giant Haley, and Robert P. Wells will be releasing his book. And I know you're going to be in pirate garb, ready exactly. November 22nd. Put it on your calendars. Appreciate it. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome to my first, my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of The Hollow Man Series and owner of Senior Publishing and Hollow Man Publishing. How are you, Paul, and who's our guest today? We have we have Deb Owens with us. Um, she is one fantastic um, uh, writer. She has a tr trilogy of science fiction out now, and, and she's going to tell us something about that. All right. So let's talk about the second book now. Go ahead, Deb. Tell us about the second book. Well, in the second book, they have to... Uh, Dane is the second in command underneath Rafe, who's the high general. And they have to, uh, he has to contact the guardian of Azor. They didn't even know they had a guardian, but yes, because there's something going on with the planet. So he goes up there and he has all these trials and stuff to get through. And then he gets up there and the, uh, he finds the, um, the guardian isn't quite what he expected. So he starts laughing and the guardian just kind of knocks him on his butt. Just kind of takes care of him. You know, he's got to work on his people skills and this kind of stuff, you know. But um, anyway, they, they go and plus they have to find the children who are being kidnapped by uh, uh, kidnappers from royal families who are starting wars between the planets in the galaxy. And so they have to find them too. So they they have quite a lot to deal with. So let's talk about why the Guardian. Explain the Guardian to us. The Guardian has been there uh, since since Bezor was uh, populated. It was colonized from the from the planet of Calmer, and when it was colonized from the planet of Calmer. The Guardian went with them, but no one knew the Guardian. The Guardian is way up north, away from the cities. So there's two cities on Basor. And so there's the one in the north and the one in the south. And the Guardian is way up north. Uh, and nobody knew that they were there. But they've been there watching over the planet ever since it was colonized uh, from Calamar. That's very, very uh, interesting. And the Guardian, is Guardian good or evil? Oh, the Guardian is very good. Yeah, the Guardian is very good. It watches over the planet. And so I will give a little bit of it away. It is a female. It is a girl. And she watches over the planet. And um, that's why Dane started laughing, because she's a small woman who takes care of the planet. Okay. And did they discover the Guardian in the first book? No. No, the Guardian uh, did not come about until the second book. The first book was only about uh, Lisa and Rafe and finding a part for their uh, water gatherer. So, Deb, let's talk about, you know, specifically when you talk about the Guardian, uh, how much is it you? How much well, is the Guardian like you? Well, actually, a little bit, but not a whole lot. Her her um, her, her 
um, what do you call it? Her temperament is a little bit like mine and her humor is a little bit like mine. And, um, but, you know, other than that, she's, she's very courageous. She's, uh, takes care of everything. She's very, what do you call it? Um, trying to think of this word. I can't think of it. Anyway, she's, 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 she has everything in order. She's very orderly with everything she does. And so that's, that's probably mostly me. <laughs> it sounds like you. It sounds like it's mostly yeah, you. It, yeah, it's probably mostly me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and when you kind of look at your characters, do they remind you of your friends all the time? Certain people or family? when you put together these characters or even certain science fiction characters? Uh, no, I just made them up. I made them all up. They, they, uh, they remind me sometimes of, of some of the comic uh, scenes in like some of uh, Star Trek or Star Wars or one of those. But basically I just made them up and their personalities, I made them up. Well, it's such interesting stuff, Deb. After the series is over, will you ever add a fourth book or no? It's over. I've been thinking about it because there are children in in the books that could be grow could grow up and do some things. You know what I'm saying? But I haven't yet. I haven't I haven't planned on it yet. And you do you write every day? <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately, I don't. I've been working. Basically, I've been working on the scenes in the books. I have um, I have Blender to work on 3D models to make scenes in the books, and I render them for pictures and movies. And I I uh, I have DAS 3D that I can also make stuff like that with. And it's just, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, so I've been working on making all of these things, models. All right. Best place we can find information on you, Deb, and learn more about you. Where can they get, where can we go? DebCarveRollins.com. And I've got all of my books there and you can read uh, excerpts and, and um, all of that. All right. We appreciate Deb. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back here. The Toss C3 Podcast. We're talking to the founder of Toss C3, Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing fantastic, Neil. Looking forward to today's topics. Oh, I'm excited. And the first topic we're going to cover today is Spynote. Beware of this Android Trojan that records audio and phone calls. Uh, basically, according, this came again from HackerNews.com, the Android banking Trojan known as Spynote has been dissected to reveal its diverse information gathering features, typically spread on SMS phishing campaigns, which we talked about. Lots of people always click on specifically text messages, attack chains involving the spyware trick potential victims in installing the app by clicking on embedded link according to F-Secure. That's scary, right? That this is a, a, a way that, that they're uh, going ahead and recording information that really can be that personal information to hack into anything. 
you know, it really is. But, you know, just before we jump in on Spynote, let, let's not forget everybody that Siri uh, and Alexa, et cetera, et cetera, they're always on and they're not considered to be malware because they come with your phone. So let's just uh, put the thing straight, right? Uh, yeah, totally. Everything's always listening regardless of where you are. So just just remember that. Uh, but yes, you know, it's amazing, right? I bet you, you know, Apple's doing backflips right now, you know, just knowing about this Spino because they're always saying how they're unhackable and, you know, you can't get Trojans and.